You're listening to a podcast from St. Barts. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Absolutely everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, that's what we're here celebrating today. There'd be no Easter day if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus. But if you're here today or you're joining us online and you find yourself a bit sceptical or a bit uncertain about that claim, it is an enormous claim. Well, not only are you among 57% of Australians who don't believe or aren't sure if Jesus rose from the dead, but actually it turns out that you're not far off from what some of the first witnesses thought too at least initially. When Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb, the last thing she expected was for Jesus to be alive. Yes, Jesus had told people over and over again that he would be raised from the dead, but having witnessed the horror of his death, that is the furthest thing from her mind. She knew Jesus died. She might be one of the first responders to the tomb, but she was amongst the last witnesses at the cross. Witnessing a crucifixion is about one of the most horrific things you could experience. That's why we're told in one of the other Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, that when Mary goes with some other women to the tomb, she goes with spices in hand in order to anoint the dead body. It's early in the morning. She doesn't know if the guards will roll away the stone. She doesn't know if the guards will let her in. The one thing she knows, or at least she thinks she knows, even in the thick of her grief, is that the body of her beloved Lord lies in that tomb. That's what she's expecting. But as her eyes adjust to the darkness she sees something which must have been at first altogether disturbing. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. She wasn't expecting that. And note that as Mary witnesses that, she doesn't immediately think, yes, Jesus must be alive. She doesn't think the, even think that the body has been stolen. After all, the tomb was under guard and the one valuable thing, the burial linen, well, it's been left behind. She doesn't think she's in the wrong place. Now, at the side of the open and empty tomb, she confidently concludes that someone, perhaps the authorities, has taken the body and she doesn't know where they've put him. So she actually repeats that three times in this account from John. When she makes a run for it, when she dashes off, that's what she tells Peter and the other disciple, John. When she's crying at the tomb and the angels ask the cause for her tears, that's what she tells them. And when she confuses Jesus for the gardener, she even asks him if he's the one who has shifted the body. But when she hears Jesus say her name, as she encounters the risen Lord Jesus, in a moment she moves from the depth of despair to the height of rejoicing. The the undeniable evidence before her overcame any hesitation of what she thought previously was impossible. And of course, that's the story of witness after eyewitness, of people living 
for that truth, even dying for that truth throughout Gospels and throughout history of people being shifted from unbelief to belief in the face of an encounter with Jesus, of people being shifted from unbelief to belief in the face of the weight of the evidence. And the extraordinary news is that today, even today, when you let the reality of what happened that day impinge upon what you thought once was impossible, the resurrection of Jesus will take a grip on your life forever. The resurrection of Jesus doesn't just challenge what we might expect, but as the sun was raised, it raises our expectations forever. Because Jesus is alive, death is defeated, and new creation awaits. So let's look at those three things. So first, the resurrection means Jesus is alive. It might seem like one of the most obvious things in the world to say that if Jesus rose from the dead, then he is alive. But there are two really important dimensions of that for us to, to grasp, to take hold of and to delight in today. That Jesus' resurrection was both physical and forever. So Jesus' resurrection was physical. It's not a fairy tale or a figment of people's imagination. Whilst Mary didn't recognise Jesus at first, perhaps because he looked different in some way or perhaps this is just so far removed from what she expected or maybe it was actually just still a bit dark, we don't know for sure the reason. We know that this wasn't merely a spiritual type of resurrection as if he was a ghost wafting about. Remember, she thought he was a person, that he was the gardener. And we see account after account with individuals, groups and even 500 people at one time attesting that Jesus was physically and bodily raised from the dead. He carried the wounds of his death. He walked, he spoke, he ate, he prayed, he touched and was touched. His body didn't just simply vanish from the tomb, but he was raised to life. It is God's big yes that the physical is not inherently bad, but a broken thing to be redeemed. But Jesus' resurrection wasn't only physical, but also forever. It was permanent. While sometimes we might hear of worldviews today in which the physical world is thought of lesser than the spiritual, or others might think, well, the physical world is actually the goal and the physical world is even divine. In Jesus' resurrection, we see that God saw it fit to not only to become human, but that his son would be raised and remain human for all time. There's lots of places we could go in the New Testament that give voice to that. But consider the words of Jesus himself in this encounter with Mary, when he says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Jesus didn't die again. Jesus didn't go into hiding. Jesus didn't jettison his body when he was ascending. Jesus isn't like so many of the so-called self-professed messiahs who've come and gone, whose deaths were the nail in the coffin for their claims. No, Jesus' followers went from despair to worship of him 
because he's alive. Now, Jesus is in the heavenly realms right now in a way that completely stretches our minds. The one who is both human and the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is alive. And that doesn't just have implications for the future we wait for, but it means that even now, even though removed from our eyes, we can know him, experience his love, and enjoy a relationship with him today. Jesus isn't just someone who was, he's someone who is. He's the living Lord. Second, the resurrection means that death is defeated. So his death wasn't a failure, but the death of death itself. His resurrection is a permanent monument to his victory. Over the last year, my son, Theodore, he's really got into chess. And the thing he really loves about chess is tournaments, because when you go to a tournament, you have a chance of winning a trophy. That's really what he wants, the trophy. Uh, He has one trophy, and it sits proudly in his room. He loves it. And he loves it because it reminds him of something he achieved. The incredible news in a far greater way is that when we look at Jesus, the ascended, the risen Jesus, it points to his ultimate victory, not of what we have achieved, but what he has achieved. Not a partial victory, but a permanent one. A complete victory over sin and death. The Bible explains that the brokenness we experience in our world, even death itself, is the result of the reign of sin and evil entering God's world. That's, of course, not a problem distant to us, but a problem every human contributes to, every human experiences, every human is powerless to overcome it on our own. We don't have to look very far around to see or feel the effects of that when we grieve the loss of a loved one, when we yearn for healing amidst the suffering we experience, or when we lament at the struggle of so many people doing it hard in the world. When we feel those things, we're reflecting on a deep longing that God has placed in us, that we rail against death because we are made for more. At the moment, sin, evil, and death seem to be on parade. But Jesus' death and resurrection have struck a fatal blow to that reign. Paul puts it like this in the letter to the Corinthians. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? So this is Paul actually thumbing his nose at, at death. He's not diminishing the pain, the suffering, the sorrow that we experience. Actually, it's the opposite of that. He's not rejoicing because those things don't matter. He's rejoicing because the horror of the days of those things are numbered. That's what Jesus' resurrection shows us. That's what Jesus' resurrection does. But this is not just a distant thing. It's also profoundly personal because his defeat of sin and death is also for us. For those who trust in Jesus, it's part of a certain future that we can look forward to. 
Jesus' resurrection is like the first fruit of a crop. Jesus' resurrection drags ours in its trail. That's the future we can look forward to immediately when Jesus returns when our trust is in him. That just as Jesus' body was raised imperishable, so too will we be raised imperishable. As one person describes it, the Christ to whom we are united is risen. Therefore, the last word is not death, it is not sin, it is not terror or fear. No, the last words are the first words. He has risen, and so we rise. Finally, the resurrection means new creation awaits. The resurrection isn't just a happy ending to a sad story. It's not the finish. But that morning, the first day of the week, is the first day of a whole new era. So the world's soundtrack that's playing of decay, it's in its final moments. We, we don't know how long that track has to play, but it's counting down to the end. But Jesus' resurrection has struck the first note of a new song of life that will play forever. New creation has been kicked off in Jesus' resurrection. We, we so look forward to that being brought to, to completion in the future. A future in which not only will sin and death be destroyed, but the whole world will no longer be subject to decay and the entirety of creation will be made new. New bodies, new world, living perfectly in relationship with God, living perfectly in relationship with one another. That's what we look forward to. Not in a way in which we're trying to skip forward, fast forward to that day, because in the meantime, Jesus has commissioned us and given us a purpose. He's given us his spirit to know his presence and power. That's what Jesus does when he appears to the disciples on the evening of this first day. He sends them and gives them his spirit. And as every Christian is caught up in living in God's purposes on this side of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, awaiting his return, we're not alone. We have a purpose and we are filled with hope. Everything hangs on the resurrection. Tim Keller puts it like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Uh, right now, there seems to be so many scams going around, more scams than ever. You get them by email, by phone, by text, by everything, sometimes even when you're walking just down the street in the mall. <laughs> so many scams offering things which seem too good to be true. Nothing is greater than the offer that we're reminded of today because of the resurrection. It is too good not to investigate, if true. What do you think? Without the resurrection, uh, Mary could barely begin to even entertain the possibility. But in the face of Jesus, what seemed impossible to her became undeniably true. I really love thinking about that moment in the garden, that, that moment when Mary encounters Jesus. 
can imagine. She has this deep, profound grief that upon seeing the tomb is now laid with disappointment. But amidst all of that, the sea of that, the grief and disappointment was dashed to joy just with the sound of his voice uttering her name. I love thinking about that moment of, of recognition where she must have spun around hearing her name and then crying out to him, locking eyes, and then she goes on to proclaim that she has seen the Lord that he has risen. I love that moment because that's also what can happen for us. That's how we're invited to respond. From hopes dashed to hopes fulfilled. The resurrection is not a fairy tale. It's not a failure. It's not even the finish. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive. Sin and death have been defeated. And new creation has just begun. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for the extraordinary news that we celebrate today, that Jesus did indeed die for us, but he also victoriously rose from the dead. He ascended and exalted and sits at your right hand. Lord, we thank you so much for that good news. Lord, we pray for anyone here today or joining us online who's just not sure what they think. Lord, I thank you so much that they're here. And I pray that you would continue to be at work in the power of your spirit, that they would investigate those claims, they would come to see what is true, that they'd put their trust in you and encounter you. And pray for us all, Lord, that this very day is be delight in all that you've done for us, that Jesus is alive, that you might enliven our hearts by the power of your spirit as we rejoice in the risen Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.